Uh, we are in Romans chapter 16. We're, we're closing out the book of Romans here uh, between uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. And uh, we have moved through the doctrinal part uh, of the book. And uh, we find here as we come to this, uh, the end of the book here, Paul um, is saying his goodbyes. He's mentioning uh, a number of names, uh, people that had been friends, people that were associates, people that were involved with him in the ministry. And it's just an interesting little list here. We're not, gonna, we're not going to uh, touch on every name, but we're going to touch on a few names that we think has uh, special significance. Um, but reading in verse 1 through 16, I'll read, you can follow. Paul says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of, of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. Uh, for indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. And greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they who had risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia, which is in Greece, to Christ. Uh, greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoners, who are also note or noteworthy among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. Uh, greet Amplius and my uh, beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, Dashes, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ, and greet those who were of the household of Aristobulus. Uh, greet Herodian, my countrymen, and greet those who were of the household of Narcissus, um, who are in the Lord. And greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, his mother and mine. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Greet Asyncritus, uh, Philagon, uh, Hermas, Petrobus, <coughs> pardon me, Her uh, Hermes, uh, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologius, and Julia, and Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and the churches of Christ greet you. And with that, let's pray. Lord, uh, these are people that we, have, we assign no faces to them. We don't know them. But yet we find that their names are written here. And there's a lesson, there's a principle. Lord, we thank you as we read their names. We realize that these were faithful workers. Uh, these are people that helped. They probably all did different things. But yet, Lord, uh, we see how, how you remembered them. And how, Lord, you always remember those things that are done, that are done for you, that are done in your name and for your name's sake and for your glory. And so, Father, I thank you for those that are here today. And today's going to be a long day, Father. Um, many of us up, <laughs> Lord, before the sun. Lord, um, serving. Lord, like these that are mentioned here. Uh, serving and working. We thank you for those who, Lord, have been serving thus far over the last couple of days, buying food, preparing food. Uh, getting it all ready, Lord, those that will be cooking today. Lord, we're so thankful for servants. And, and yet, in a sense, Lord, you, you've called every one of us. 
each and every one of us to serve you. Lord, um, what a privilege that is, what an honor that, Lord, uh, you would call us, Lord, to, to, do, to do something to honor you, Lord, by our actions, by our life. And so, Father, uh, we commit this morning to you, Lord, uh, and this day, Lord, uh, go before us. Lord, bless, we pray, your word to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, in this chapter, uh, obviously, we find a list of names here. Uh, and behind each one of these names, you know, these are uh, they're challenging names as you read them as well. But behind each one of these names is a story. Uh, behind is it a face or a family or a lifetime of ministry. Uh, each one of these, um, we find here the Lord mentioning, reminding us of uh, these people who were friends. They were helpers. They were involved in what God was doing, you know, back there in that first century church. And what, what blesses me is to realize that their names are engraved in Scripture for all eternity. Uh, they probably never thought when they were serving the Lord in some insignificant area, just doing something that, you know, uh, had to be done. A lot of times you'll find that God calls you <clears throat> in such a way that you're pressed in the service. You're pressed in the service. Yeah, you, just, you just see this thing that needs to be done. Nobody's doing it. But you feel like you feel pressed in a sense and it, you know, that the Holy Spirit is moving you to do that. And all of a sudden you find that maybe what could, may come out of that is a ministry. Uh, I can remember many years ago um, serving with Pastor Bill Gallatin um, that uh, I, I felt like sometimes from week to week I was changing hats. There were just so many different things that, that, were, that were to be done. And, and uh, at, at times it seemed to be a little bit frustrating. But as I look back at it now, I realize that God was just preparing me uh, basically to be a pastor of a church, uh, equipping me for all the different things that, that, that needed to be done. And it was important for me to do those things um, and basically, you know, you know, from that point to move into other opportunities of ministry. So don't be discouraged, you know, if you find that God gives you something to do. I think sometimes when it comes to doing little things, uh, obscure things, things that nobody knows that you're doing, um, you know, be careful that you don't uh, surrender that. Uh, you don't just simply, you know, get discouraged, give up. You know, there's no recognition here, uh, you know, type of thing. And I think sometimes people give up ministries in that way because they've been called to do something that's just simply obscure. Um, seems unimportant to everybody uh, else. That, that's why sometimes uh, nobody wants to do something uh, of that particular nature. But then you find God just sort of prompting you, you know, pushing you. Uh, encouraging you in that particular direction. And I would just say, uh, take that step of faith. You know, take that step of faith because uh, if you're ever going to take a big step, those big steps of faith are based on little steps. They're based on those little things, those little opportunities, those little doors, uh, those little things that are insignificant that God pu puts before us. Uh, and when we're faithful in that, then he does open up other opportunities and bigger things. But one of the things that just simply I'm reminded of when I read this particular list is that God never forgets the things we do for him. Those endeavors, those efforts that we have done for him, he doesn't forget it. And remember this, people will forget. People oftentimes forget what you do for them. Um, and that's human nature. But that's why it's important also to realize that when I'm doing something, whether it's and, and you do things for people, obviously. But we have to realize that first and foremost, we're doing that for Christ. We're doing that for the Lord. So whether I get a pat on the back, whether I get a thank you um, or some token of appreciation, I'm doing it for Jesus and I'm doing it for him. Because that way there, you're not going to get ripped off. 
That way there you're not going to get bugged uh, because you've done it for somebody. They just sort of, you know, sometimes you do things for people and they're just like, you know, like, like they're entitled to it or something. But they deserve it. Uh, you, you, we get that attitude particularly out in the culture. Uh, I always find it uh, refreshing when somebody holds a door open for me because I hold doors open for people all the time. And uh, because, you know, in our culture, we're losing things like courtesy. Uh, those kind of things are being thrown out the, because as we've become more of a myopic, selfish-based culture in society where it's just simply all about the me, uh, it's refreshing when all of a sudden you, you, somebody does something for you, some little random act of kindness. Uh, I think that for you and I, that, I think that should be you know, uh, part and parcel of what we do all the time, right? Looking for little opportunities to, to be a good Samaritan, to, to reach out uh, for the love of Christ. Whether we get the witness to somebody, sometimes the witness is the action. Um, and so, again, looking for every opportunity. And so, again, we're meeting here. This is a group of early Christians. We're going to meet them later, okay? Not today. We're going to, hopefully, you're not going to meet them today. We're not going to heaven yet, okay? Uh, but there is a day when you're going to meet this group of, of, of early believers. Uh, these were people that they worked alongside the Apostle Paul. Paul knew them by name. He loved them. And, you know, uh, taking our, our title from a portion of Scripture, they were unknown among men, but well-known in heaven. And maybe perhaps that's our, that's our uh, motto as well, unknown among people, um, even our own people sometimes. There are, there are folks that come in here, and they scrub those toilets. There's people that come in here and vacuum these floors. There's people that come in there and bleach and wipe down those tables in the cafe. Uh, there's people that, uh, you know, there's, there's, it was a kind of an interesting week because we had people in here all week long. We had t- uh, a group of guys that just painted the building, both sides. Um, and then we had folks involved in uh, food preparation, you know, all week long, buying the food and, 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 and preparing it. And, and, it, and it's a beautiful thing that when that happens, there's a fellowship that takes place with it. There's a beautiful koine and a fellowship that just simply takes place uh, when God's people are just sort of working together. And we're not working for ourselves. We're working for the Lord. We're, we're, we're serving other people. And, uh, and we see that here. Again, I think their service they're being commended for uh, should inspire us, inspire us on to good deeds. And we're supposed to do that. Encourage one another in the area of good works. Um, you know, there's, there's a present blessing, but also, too, there's something yet future, and we're going to talk about that as we sort of work our way through a few of these names. We're not going to touch on all of them, but how God wants us as well, like them, to make an impact for the name of Jesus. And, and again, there's, there's a wonderful blowback from that. There's a wonderful blowback that comes to us when we're honoring his name, when we're pleasing him and glorifying him. Now, the first person we meet here was a letter carrier. His name was, her name was rather Phoebe. And he commends her here, and he says, uh, I commend to you uh, Phoebe, who was our sister. And she's, again, she's the one who's bringing Paul's. You know, you know, when you think about our life today, we take so much for granted, don't we? I mean, does the Lord kind of just show you different things that, you know, just they're, they're a part, they become cultural uh, they become a, a part of our everyday life that we just simply take for granted, like a postal, you know, a postal service. They just didn't have that in the ancient world. And when you, maybe if somebody was traveling and said, hey, you know, will you carry this letter uh, over to, you know, to another country, to another city, or where the case may be, and maybe you give them, you know, give them some money for their trouble, where the case may be, and you're hopeful that your letter would actually get there. I mean, something like the postal service, something like messaging. I love messaging. 
It's so great. Uh, you can just, you know, shoot out this message or an email, whatever the case may be. I can remember when I was in the service, it was all snail mail. Uh, you, you're overseas and you send a letter. It takes a good week to get home and maybe sometimes, you know, two to three weeks before it gets back to you. And, uh, you know, everything has become so instant, you know, in our world, in our society. And, uh, and I think we have to be careful. We don't simply just take that for granted. What, what blessing, you know, that we have uh, that they didn't have. Uh, certainly as we uh, look at uh, biblical times. Now he says this to her. She's a servant of the church and that receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For she has uh, indeed been a helper of many and of myself also. One of the things I think Paul's trying to convey to us here, he's simply trying to convey to us as he gives this introduction of Phoebe of how men are to treat Christian women. And what we see here is this basically respect, it's courtesy, uh, there's a certain dignity to it. Because I think, you know, we're losing that in our culture. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that are going out the window in our culture. And I think it's important for you and I to, to just really make a difference in simple things. You know, how we treat people. I can remember growing up as a kid, and, uh, the, you know, when you went over to somebody's house, it was Mr. and Mrs. when you spoke to their parents. Mr. and Mrs., that was the, you know, nothing else. You didn't call them by their first name. You would be in trouble if you called them by your first name, by their first name, rather. And, uh, but today, it's just, you know, the difference, it's just so different today. And I think sometimes, e even though it's not intentional, I, I think sometimes we've just lost courtesy and respect, you know, for people, older people, or the opposite sex, or whatever the case may be. And I think these little things are very important. Because, again, I think that I think there's little considerations uh, for you and I, as we express them to people, I think it's a witness. I, I think that that is incredible. We, th we think of witnessing to people as just, you know, telling them about Jesus, you know, then hopefully they, you know, they agree with us and we pray with them and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, I think our lives in so many subtle, small ways, you know, we are witnessing to the Lord because, you know, people, when you do things nice for people or kindly to people, they're like, wow, that person's different. But what is it? What is it about, you know, different about you know, that friend of yours, Harry, what, you know, why, you know, why are they, why is he so, you know, so considerate, uh, you know, of other people and so forth? And it becomes an opportunity, basically, to share Christ. Well, they're, they're a Christian. That person has committed their life to, to Christ. You should have you should have seen Harry before he knew Christ. <laughs> you know, type of thing. And then he says, you know, help her. She, she needs assistance. Um, and again, you know, the saints in, in, that, in that day and age, that, you know, you talk about poverty. Uh, you know, we talk about poverty today. It was nothing like what poverty was in the ancient world. And so there was no hotels. Uh, hospitality uh, was important. Um, you know, uh, sometimes God brings people to our home. And, uh, you know, there's, there's been people that have come through speaking. And sometimes uh, if there's uh, maybe a husband and wife team or uh, a few people together, they want to stay in a hotel for more privacy. I understand that. But a lot of times when somebody's alone, uh, it's a great opportunity to, to basically bring them into your home. Uh, Margie and I, over the years, we've had so many people. Sometimes we've had people for months. <laughs> you know, uh, people come sometimes. They don't want to leave. It's uh, so hospitable. <laughs> but it was with an understanding that they had no place, of course. And... Uh, but it's always been a blessing. Every time that we have opened up our home to somebody, uh, it can be challenging, but, but uh, you know, it's challenging sometimes to our, our, our lifestyle, our privacy, and that type of thing. But every time we've done it, 
And there's been times where we, we had five kids and we did it with five kids. We piled all the kids, you know, the boys in the one room and the girls in another room to give up a bedroom for somebody uh, to even stay, you know, for a long period of time. Uh, but God has always wonderfully blessed us, enabled us, and helped us to do that. One of the things that I wanted to express is how I appreciate the women, the ladies of this church. You know, over the years that we've been here, they have been such an integral part of, uh, of, of the ministry and what God has been doing here. Uh, I think of Sunday school, you know, VBS, nursery, the cafe, uh, music ministry, the, a basic helps ministry, uh, the, the secretarial stuff, cleaning, all these different things, women teaching, um, you know, as they teach the children, as they teach other women. All these ministries have been such a blessing. Uh, a church should never be, and of course, maybe at one day, at one time, it, it may have been uh, in a certain way, but it should never be a one-man show. It, it always needs to be a collective effort of, of God's people. That's why uh, when you read Ephesians, you understand that if you're a believer, you're in the ministry. Amen? God's called you. He's chosen you. Uh, he wants, and that's why I think we need to pray, Lord, give me an opportunity. I remember at one point, uh, as a new believer, I, I just wanted to do something for the Lord, but I didn't know what to do. And so I just began to pray, Lord, and he just began to just give me these little things to do here and there. And I can remember saying at one point, because I was still a dental technician, um, you know, working in the dental world, and, uh, I, said, and I was saying, Lord, if, if you want me to be a janitor in a church, I will be that. I, was just, I just had a hunger and a desire to do whatever the Lord wanted me to do. And, and it didn't take long for him to open up different opportunities, you know, for me. I was a little surprised in the first church I was saved in. I wasn't even there for two months, and the, and the pastor was asking me to be a deacon. And uh, I, I didn't know the Bible very much at all, but I was hungry. I was eating it up, and maybe he, sent, he saw something, and obviously the Lord prompted him uh, to encourage me to take that step. And I would encourage you, as the Lord maybe gives you an opportunity, sometimes you may hear an announcement from the pulpit uh, of some opportunity to maybe minister to the children uh, or to serve in the cafe or the men to be an usher, whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden you find the Holy Spirit just sort of prompting you, just prompting you within your heart. Uh, and nobody else, is, nobody else is coming up and you know, putting pressure on you or anything, but you're just sensing a drawing. And I would encourage you, be obedient to that. Be obedient to the Lord, those gentle promptings of the Holy Spirit. He will not twist your arm. He will not force you, but he, he, it, he, he desires our cooperation uh, in any area of service or ministry, and certainly we see that, you know, taking place. You know, when people are serving you, that's, how the, that's what the world um, designates as important. You know, you've got, you got people serving you, and there are some people in this world, they love to be served. You know, they, they, they just feel entitled. You know, they deserve to be served, you know, kind of a thing. But, you know, Jesus, interestingly, says, if you want to be great, if you want to be important, he says you have to become servant of all. He says something over in Mark chapter 10. And, again, it's a contrast between, you know, the world. And if you've, uh, any of us have been in the world, the work-a-day world, or maybe in the military, um, and uh, the, the, the leadership oftentimes, um, you know, puts a lot of pressure on you, barks orders. I can remember being in the military. Uh, you know, they kind of treat you like this big, you know, this big collective, this big herd. They treat you like a platoon, and they're barking out orders, you know, to do this and to do that. And Jesus said, my way 
of becoming great is a whole entirely different route. It's not being the boss, but it's actually being a servant. He says in, in Mark 10, 42 through 45, he says, but Jesus called them to himself, and he said to them, now, Jesus called them to himself because they were bickering and fighting among themselves who was the greatest. And perhaps maybe the Lord performed a miracle at their hands. And they're maybe right away comparing themselves to one another. Well, hey, man, I did a greater miracle than you did, you know, type of thing. And so Jesus calls them to himself to basically clear the air about really what greatness is. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers or the bosses over the Gentiles, the world, they lord it over them. And their great ones, their important people, exercise authority over them. So again, it's just lordship. And, uh, and I, you know, at different times as a younger man years ago, um, you know, you watch sometimes the jockeying for a position, you know, if you're in a company, uh, if you're wherever you are, you can be in a factory, you can be in a, in a corporation, you can be in a very nice place, and there can be this jockey. It happens in the classroom. It can happen in the classroom. This jockeying for a position to be the favorite. And then when you get into that, sometimes when that person gets into that position, oh, man. It's in, they're insufferable. They're going to let everybody know that they're the boss. And Jesus said, that's not my way. That's not my kingdom. That's the kingdom of the world. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. Whosoever desires to become great among you, let him, or, he, or you shall be, uh, or great among you, you shall be servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. And, and what we find, what we discover in this life of faith, that Jesus is making us, refining us, and making us more like himself. So as you read the Bible and you read how Jesus is, and, in your, and you realize, you look at your own life and say, well, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm far from that. Well, the Holy Spirit's working. And how he works is he just wants to, us, he wants our obedience, he wants our cooperation, and as we cooperate with him, he'll do that. Because the fact of the matter is, by ourselves, we can't change ourselves. But by the work of the Holy Spirit, by yielding to him, and that, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the part that rubs us the wrong way, is yielding to him, being obedient to him. Well, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that now, kind of thing. Uh, and you have to be careful of that because that's going to forestall what God wants to do within your life. Because we oftentimes have our agenda, don't we? We have our agenda, you know, our plans, you know, how we want to work things out. But we have to give them to the Lord. That's, if that's one thing the Bible tells me is we have to offer up our plans, our agenda, our future, all those kinds of things. We've got to put them on the altar. And, and you've got to keep putting them on the altar because as you go through life, you know, all of a sudden, you know, your life is uh, pretty well entrenched, you know, in, in your plans or the, the plans of the corporation and all that sort of thing. And we find that, you know, God asks us to do some little thing. We can't do it. We just don't have the time. Or, or we're so distracted with all these other things. And the freedom comes, the victory comes when God prompts us and we just say, yeah, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm, I, I, Lord, I, I, help me. Help me to obey. Help me to maybe make time. Help me to prioritize my life, Lord, with you and your purpose. 
that is something that God is going to just continue to work in your life and my life is prioritizing our life with Him, having time for Him. The life can be so busy, you don't even have time in the morning. You're going to go through your whole day and not pray, not even crack your Bible. The world will turn you into a puppet. The world will squeeze you into its mold. And they do it with our cooperation. And that's why you'll find when, when, when God is touching your life in some kind of way, it's so gentle. Do you ever notice the Holy Spirit is, 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 is the symbol of a dove? He's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to force you into a corner and wrestle you to the floor with your arm behind your back, and you're, okay, uh, uncle, okay, I give up, kind of a thing. You wrestled, you wrestled. To, no, he's not going to do that. He's very gentle. He's very gentle. And he wants us to simply, he wants, uh, he wants us to be willing. Uh, Oswald Chambers says something, that the last thing that breaks in a person, that needs to be broken in a person, is self-will. And man, I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that because so often I find this plan, this other agenda, what I want to do, you know, coming in there. And it's, you know, it can be a constant battle dealing with those kinds of things. And you know what? If you don't push back by faith, they take over your life. They take over your life. It's the, that's the way of the world. Now, each name here, Paul saw a face. Saw a face, he saw an individual. And that's what I love about God. That, that he doesn't see us, he doesn't treat us like a herd. He sees us as individual. He sees our life. He sees, he knows our past. He knows our weaknesses. He knows all of our vulnerabilities. He knows everything. He has the total dossier. You ever sometimes, you, when you maybe uh, work with certain people, you try to figure them out. And you want to just, you know, just kind of figure them out by the, what your, the, their demeanor and, and how they interact with you on the job and so forth. But see, for God, it's no problem. It's like when Jesus met people, he instantly saw into their life. He knew exactly, you know, he knew their need. He knew everything about them. And Jesus knows exactly. That's why he takes us a certain way. That's why you can't choose your own way. You've got to yield your life to him. Because he knows exactly that decision. There, there, there can be things in us that, that we oftentimes don't see. We don't know, but he knows. And so he will lead us to make certain decisions that bring us into alignment with his purpose and with his plan. And I discovered that when we avoid that, that it's kind of like you go full circle and you come back to it. He, he kind of brings us back to it because we have to benefit from the lesson of that. We, we have to learn from that. And God's patient, and he's much more patient than we are. Uh, look, look at the lessons that Moses learned. It took him 40 years. You know, it, took, it took him 40 years. He was 40 years when he went into the desert. So he was, he was a mature man when he went into the desert. But he had, a, he had absolutely wrong concepts of God. And it took 40 years to get all those concepts out of him. And God's very patient with us. He's so patient and he's working with each one of us presently in our lives. And what brings again... The blessing is when we cooperate with the prompting, the leading, the directing, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And how does God do that? He's going to speak to you through his word. 
He's going to speak to you through the Bible and through his word. Now, we meet a couple in verse 3. Priscilla and Aquila were told here that they risked their lives for Paul. We don't know exactly. uh, uh, It doesn't tell us um, exactly how that happened, but obviously uh, he had great appreciation for this couple. And this was simply a husband and wife team that were serving Christ. We find their names mentioned significantly six times in the New Testament. That's important whenever you have, you know, particularly this husband and wife team, that their name is mentioned six particular times. And as I was thinking about this, this young couple, uh, a lot of times uh, a person doesn't have the, the support of their spouse, even though they're both Christians. A lot of times I've, I've noticed this. Um, it's, it's not just an anomaly. Uh, it's something that happens all the time. Uh, also, uh, on the other hand, I've noticed sometimes and when, there's a, when there's a couple that God is just sort of using them, they're encouraging one another, they're involved in service. Uh, anytime there's a, they're involved in ministry, both together. And, wh- and as I was thinking about this couple, I couldn't help but thinking about my wife. She has been so incredibly supportive over the years. I, I think I could tell her, well, honey, we're going to sell the house and we're going to march into hell and preach the gospel. She would go. As a matter of fact, she's always encouraged me to move anyway. <laughs> I'm the one who's like, no, I don't want to move anymore. And we've been in this house 20 years, and I don't know, maybe it could be time. Who knows? But um, I, I'm so appreciative of her support, you know, over the years. She's always been. And, like, usually when I have to make some important decision for the Lord, I mean, I'll talk about it with her. There's no doubt about that. I always, we, we want to move forward together. But, it, but usually when I get a direction, a new direction from the Lord, I'm not worried about her. Oh, no. Uh, how am I going to present this to her? How am I going to tell her? You know, is she going to be on the same page as me? And, and how can I just, how can I woo her? Uh, do I have to, you know, buy her all this stuff to, you know, to make her happy and then I get my way kind of a thing? Now, I know you never do that in marriage, right? You guys never do that, okay? But, of course, that kind of thing can happen. Uh, when we want to get our way seriously enough. But I've never had to worry about her. She, she's always been, oh, this is what you want to do. This is what the Lord's telling you. Sometimes she, she, wouldn't, even ask, she wouldn't even say, well, I need to, the Lord has to tell me kind of a thing. She's always just been in agreement uh, to, to my leadership. And, and I've appreciated her support. Her support has been so integral, so important, um, I think, to anything that the Lord has you know, done within my life. She's been such a blessing. And I think here this team, Priscilla and Aquila, um, is, is one of those couples that they were really involved in serving Christ. They meet Paul first and foremost in Acts chapter 18. They're tent makers like Paul. They, uh, they, they have the same kind of job, and so they meet the apostle Paul, and um, they're believers. And then we find that they're forced to move by decree. Uh, I think it was Augustus. Uh, this is a little, little insightful, interesting thing about um, Jewish anti-Semitism. Uh, these were obviously Jewish people. And all the Jews basically at one point, I think it was under Augustus, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe one of the other Caesars, uh, uh, were forced out of Rome. And I was telling our first service that, um, you know, when you think about, you know, persecution and anti-Semitism arising. It's arising against the church, but you know something? It's always been there for the Jew. It's always been there. They have been the most persecuted people on the face of the earth. And even before what took place in Nazi Germany, there were pogroms in Russia 
And, and, and when you study it, you go back in, in history. I'm just reading a book called The Legacy of Hate by a Jewish believer. Uh, it was written some 30 years ago. It's out of print, but I, it's one of the best books that I've ever read on this subject. And himself being a Jew and talking about, you know, the Holocaust and, and, uh, and all these different little nuances that took place, you know, within the, you know, within um, you know, the Jews in, in Europe and so forth, and even going back and giving some certain history. Very, very powerful. So we find that this is a Jewish couple here, and they're forced out of Rome, and uh, they're, they're moving on to Corinth with the Apostle Paul. But what's interesting, let me just also add another footnote to that. Sometimes difficulties may come, trials may come, and they move, may move us from point A to point B. And you know what? God can be in that. How do you think he got Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem? It was a census. It was a decree from Caesar. <laughs> and, and sometimes we may find it uh, could be the loss of a job. could be a transfer. Um, could be other issues that, that cause someone to move. And God has a way. God has a way sometimes of, of you know, we may not see the hand of the Almighty uh, in it. Uh, but uh, again, he works what? All things. All things to the good, to those. And you know the beautiful thing about it is, I look back at my life before Christ. And I realize that he was working in my life before I knew him, before I made a decision for him. Do- doesn't Paul tell us that we, you know, we are, we, we've, our salvation is foreordained before the foundations of the world? Uh, who can figure that one out? But as I look back at my life and all the the, dysfunction, and you know something? I would not have wanted to change it for anything. I mean, there's so much dysfunction in my background. I don't even want to go into it. Sometimes it comes out (laughs) in one of the messages, some some situation. But I look back and I think, Lord, those things were vehicles. Those things brought me to you. And hopefully if there's some dysfunction and problems in your own particular background, to be able to see how God can work those things out to the good. You, you see, we've got, a, we've got a God and we've got a message that's transformational. And, and I was talking to somebody between service uh, how important it is. Don't get hung up on your past. You don't want your past or some wound or some problem to define your present and your future. You don't want that because we know many people that it does. They can't get over the fact of what that person did to me. I'll never forgive them. And and that bitterness and that unforgiveness is so debilitating. But you see, he's got a future for us, a future and a hope. And that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, forgetting the things that are behind. Why should I let them control my present circumstance, my present situation? And I'm not saying they're not wounding. I'm not saying they don't hurt you. They're they're very difficult to get over. But as we simply put our trust in him and we commit them, we commit those issues to him, he'll enable us to move on, to not get stuck there, you know, in that very difficult place. 
Another thing we find about this couple, they sail to Ephesus with Paul, and we find them in Ephesus hosting a church. I mean, wherever you find this couple, there's fruit. God's using them in a beautiful and an awesome way. And then we find that they become a mentor. Remember this, this young um, Jewish guy who was a great preacher, Apollos? They instruct him. He, he doesn't have a full understanding of, of, of Christ and Messiah and the gospel. And so they see this guy, and he's preaching because he has, some, he has Bible truth. And they take him aside, and they begin to mentor him um, more effectively. And now we find them, here they are, back in Rome. But you know what? These, these are ambassadors. You know, these people are servants. They're reconcilers. And you know what? They're bridge builders. And every one of those things God calls us to. You're a bridge. Your life is a bridge. Because there are people that have, that have gone through all kinds of things just like you and just like me. And all of a sudden, they, an opportunity comes. They pour out their heart. They pour out their story. And you can say, well, I can relate to that. I went through that. But let me tell you what God did for me. We're ambassadors. We're reconcilers. I couldn't help but think. Every time I think of that term, I think of uh, Marine Corps Special Forces. They're called recon. And they drop them behind the lines. And the purpose for that is to observe and obtain information and bring back this intelligence. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through the end of the chapter, he says five different times, we, we've been, we are reconcilers and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And I thought about this. I run this a contrast to what we used to do in the Marine Corps. He has saved us and we are like lambs among wolves. He puts us behind enemy lines. And we observe. And instead of taking information, we give them the information of the gospel. And, our, and the purpose in that is what? To bring them back to God. Not just me up here. You as well. You're a bridge builder. You're an ambassador. You represent the kingdom of God. What a great privilege. What a great honor that we have. Verse 9, Urbanus. I was thinking, this guy's got to be called the urban ministry. Got to be called the urban ministry with a name like that, right? Verse 11, greet Herodian. Uh, now, there was an Herodian political party, but also, too, there was the Herod family. And it's very possible, when you think about this guy, that he may have been called, he may have been one of the Herodian family. And it was a horrible family. They were, they were, the Herods, the, the, you know, the different kings, they murdered their wives, they murdered their children, anybody that got in their way. And here you have wonderful grace reaching down. Doesn't it surprise you sometimes you know, how God reaches into uh, situations and saves certain people? I look at my life just long, just a long line of Catholics. And here God reached down and saved me. And at one time, my mother wanted, to be, wanted me to be a priest. Well, she kind of got her wish in a certain kind of way, in a little different kind of way. And we came to Christ. We came to Christ, Margie and I. We went home. We told our families. 
My grandmother had, been, had passed on by this time, but I knew my grandmother very well. Uh, she was an Irish Catholic. I don't know if you anything about Irish Catholics, but they, they fight and kill themselves over in Ireland, okay, to prove their Catholicism and the Protestants and the, fight, and the, and the Catholics are always fighting. And I went, we went home and shared the, the gospel and what the Lord had done for us. And my mother said to me, if your grandmother could have heard you, what happened to you, she would have rolled over in her grave. And uh, believe me, my grandmother would have rejoiced at what God has wonderfully done. And God may have picked you out of a situation. There was nobody saved in my family. It was so foreign. If you grew up in a Christian context, God bless you. Not too many people have that great opportunity to grow up within Christian family, get Christian education, hear your parents praying. What an amazing, incredible thing here. And then also, too, in verse 11, the household of narcissists. <laughs> you won't hear too many people with that name today, will you? But, oh, that name lives on in many ways, doesn't it? You know who narcissist was? He's a, he's a Greek mythological figure. He was so beautiful, and he always gave everybody a hard time. He was always, always you know, nasty to people. He was a young man, uh, and he was so beautiful and, and good-looking that he was out hunting one day, and he looked over in the stream, and he saw his reflection in the stream, and he so fell in love with himself that it killed him. <laughs> I was thinking about that. It's an interesting story, isn't it? It's, it's, it's Greek mythology, but it's designed to communicate something. It's, it's, to com it's basically designed to communicate to us the danger of self-loving yourself too much. And I think we need that. that. That's big today, isn't it? The, the, our myopic culture. We need to love the Lord with all our heart and all our soul and our neighbor as ourself. Because you know what? God knows. That's why he said, love your neighbor, what? As you love yourself. We love ourselves. That's why self-esteem is kind of crazy. We already love ourselves way beyond esteeming ourselves. But, you know, when we love the Lord, that's how we can love other people more correctly, more accurately. Uh, it's been suggested that these two are possibly twins, Tryphena and Tryphosa. It means dainty and delicate, but you know what? They weren't too dainty and delicate to serve the Lord. And beloved Persis, it's a feminine name, actually, who labored much in the Lord. Do you know your labor in Christ is not in vain? I'll tell you what, you can work for companies all your life. And one day, you gave 25, 30 years to that company. And one day, they can walk up to you and hand you a slip and say, I'll walk you to the door. Do you know that's happened to thousands of people. And I'm not saying don't be a good employee. Be a good employee. But your labor in the Lord carries eternal weight. Don't give up your ministry. Whatever that is. Maybe you're just an intercessor. That's important. You can give your life to a company. And again, you do your best. But don't be surprised if they just sort of one day, you're gone, your history. That's the way of the world. But when you serve faithfully the Lord Jesus Christ, huh, he's going to take care of you. 
And he has, he has ways of taking care of us. He has resources we cannot even begin to figure out. Paul knew this family well. We're going to close with verse 13. Rufus, chosen in the Lord, his mother and mine. We first meet him and his father in Mark chapter 15. You know where? You know who his father is? I've always had such an appreciation for this guy because of the, the circumstances in which God reached into his life. He's Simon of Cyrene. That's his father. That's Rufus's father. He has a brother by the name of Alexander. And I've always thought about this ministry that, that, that uh, Simon of Cyrene, uh, you know, he's from North Africa. He's probably... And it's believed by many different commentators and writers that he was a man of color. And obviously so was Rufus and so was Alexander. So whether he was Jewish, part Jewish, or just perhaps a proselyte to Judaism, he was there at that Passover when Jesus went to the cross. And I don't know if they picked him out because he was a man of color said, hey, you come over here, carry his cross. I would only imagine, as I've reflected back and thought about that situation, that that was a job, a task that nobody wanted. I think it became the very highlight of his life. And you know what? It came in an interesting kind of way. He was pressed into service. God may call you sometime and press you into service. You weren't prepared for it. You weren't ready for it. Because we want to be prepped for everything. We want to be ready for everything. We want to be, you know, good to go. I'm going to Vietnam in November. I'm going to go teach pastors the book of Ephesians. And I want to be prepared. I, I am just kind of praying about it, worried about it. But sometimes you're going to find that the Lord will just press you into an opportunity to serve. And you know what? That opportunity may be the doorway through which God is going to bless your life in an incredible way. I would imagine any one of us, we would ask uh, Simon and Cyrene, Cyrene, hey, what about that? He probably said, man, I was, taken, I was taken aback at first, but what a privilege. God chose me for that. What an opportunity. It became the, became the high point of my life. And no doubt it led to his, his, you know, his salvation in Christ, his relationship with Christ. And in Acts 20, we find that men come to Antioch because Antioch was the happening place. And they came there from Cyrene. They were preaching. And I would suggest that this, that perhaps uh, Simon and his family, Rufus and Alexander and his wife, came with him. Because we find them later, not in North Africa, but we find them over in Asia there, uh, ministering to the Lord. But what I like about this family is the incredible legacy they leave. It all began at the cross. That's the beginning place for any of us, right? Simon would only come to, it's like when we come to salvation in Christ. We don't understand all the theological dy dynamics of it. You, what we understand, I'm hurting. My life's a mess. I need Christ in my life. Lord, Lord can, you, can you change the trajectory of my life? That's all we understand. But I imagine Simon later came to realize 
here, he's bearing that cross for me. He's taking my judgment. He's taking my punishment. You see, for any of us, it has to start at the cross. And this man was pressed into the most grand opportunity. As any of us would look back and say, well, I would love to do that. I would love to be chosen for that. But you know something? You can be. You can be chosen for whatever that opportunity is because you know what? The Spirit of God is in your life. And I think Jesus, when he said, take up your cross, what? Daily. It's really his cross, isn't it? Not easy to follow Jesus. You know, I, I, think, of, I think of some of the challenging things in my life. The greatest challenge of my life is just following after him, trying to keep up with him, <laughs> trying to serve him, you know, in a meaningful kind of a way. Donald Gray Barnhouse looks at all these things that are said here, and he says, what epitaphs are these? But you know what an epitaph is? It's something that's written on your grave, but it's something that people say about you. Not necessarily what you want to say, unless you plan for it. Maybe I'm weird, but I'm already planning for it. I told Margie, I said, I, I've got enough. I, I told her under my calendar on my desk, I've got a number of hymns that if I just croak all of a sudden, and uh, she doesn't know what to do, I've got all these hymns under there. These are, these are the, this is what I want done at my service. And here's what I want you to put on my gravestone. He kept me. That's what I want. Because I didn't keep myself. He kept me. I want him to be glorified. But maybe it's a little weird, but maybe you might want to think about your epitaph, because you don't want them putting some crazy thing on your gravestone. <laughs> I want to close with this little story. Because we see what, what a legacy these people leave for us. Just in a sentence, in a word. Helpers. Workers, servants, faithful. <laughs> Most of you have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegic. God's used her in a tremendous way. And she speaks all around the world. She's got a pretty big dynamic ministry. She ministers to a lot of handicapped people. She goes into foreign countries and she provides uh, uh, wheelchairs for them. People that can't even afford a wheelchair, she goes in there and provides those kind of things for them. She calls us the legacy of Mary Rose. Just minutes before I was called up to the platform to address the, address the overflowing convention, I met Mary Rose. She shuffled toward me, leaning on the arm of her escort. Her gait was stiff and her arm curled against her chest. I guess she had had cerebral palsy. She wore a tan cardigan over a yellow cotton dress, nothing fancy. Her glasses sat askew on her nose. Johnny, her escort said, this is my friend Mary Rose. She's been waiting so long to meet you. Mary Rose stretched out her rigid arm to greet me. Her body may have been stiff, but her smile was warm. 
She was, she was excited to meet me, the person who had written the book that had meant so much to her decades earlier. And Johnny, her escort, said, Mary Rose has something to tell you. And she says this in halting fashion. I have been praying for you every day. She said it with great effort. Also, she said, ever since I read your book. And I thought, praying for me every day, I did some quick math in my head. That would mean 7,000 times this woman has lifted me up to the Savior. Well, I watched her shuffle away back into the shadows. As I wheeled out into the light, into into the applause. But I didn't feel important at that moment. God isn't impressed with my books, my paintings, my speeches, my world travel. When it comes to entering the master's happiness, the highest accolades will go to godly people who have labored loyally, yet they have received no recognition. Someday on the other side, when Mary Rose receives her magnificent reward, I'll stand happily on the sidelines cheering and applauding. And do you ever feel that your service for Christ has been inconspicuous? Hardly noticed by anyone? Well, be encouraged. Your reward has nothing to do with being bigger or better, well-known or well-watched, but it has everything to do with being faithfulness, or, or with faithfulness, rather. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the faithful one. And Lord, we thank you that you have purpose to call us. And so often, Lord, in our ministry, in our attempts to serve you, we feel like in many respects we've failed. We feel perhaps like like Mary Rose at life. We, We shuffle along. We don't see, Lord, any anything powerful being done. And yet we discover, Lord, you're not concerned about all those peripheral things. Lord, you have all that under your control. Lord, you're concerned just about faithfulness. So help us, Lord. We, we read a list here of of those that you commended in such a degree that their names will be forever engraved. Lord, it's in the pages of Scripture. Well, Lord, perhaps ours never will be. But yet, Lord, you have a book. Our names are written in that book. And we're so thankful, Lord, thankful that you would do anything with us. And I pray, Father, this morning, I pray for these here, your dear dear people. I pray for encouragement. I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, you would buoy us up. And, Lord, if perhaps maybe we have endeavored to serve you at different times and our expectations fell far short, I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Perhaps we need to get back in the game. Lord, we need to just, again, pick up whatever it was that you called us to. And how I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, your enabling power would come upon our lives once again. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to glorify you. Lord, what a privilege and honor that we have to be called your sons, your daughters. Lord, bless, we pray, as we go. 
Bless our fellowship this afternoon, we ask. And all those, Lord, who are servants have gone before us. And they're just waiting for us to get there to feed us. We thank you. Thank you for all the good things that you've done. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.